Spirit is speaking our freedom. Death and its curse have no claim. Our God is forever exalted with glory and honor and praise and praise. Hallelujah. worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're here joining us and welcome to you online as well. At this time, I invite you to stand up and greet each other with the peace of Christ. from Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Let's praise his name this morning.
Good morning. All right, let's have the kids come on over. If you may recall, last time I kind of blew this. So it's this simple, folks. The Lord be with you. And all's okay, right. The kids are gathering, and we had this moment to bless them. And uh, let's just kind of think about that for a moment. I mean, we're we're blessing them, the Lord be with them, 
And Lord, help them have some experience that's going to help them know that you are with them, near them, leading them in their life, have a future for them. So the kids are here. Let's bless them, folks. The Lord be with you. Have a great morning. All right. So just even thinking about that blessing, that comes right out of a conversation we had yesterday. The council was on retreat yesterday. And so we gathered in the conference room over at Jeff's business, and we spent the whole day thinking about big things around what is the context within which we minister? What that really means is the context within which we work and live and worship. We are in a culture that is very secular. And so we really thought about what does that really mean? And what does that mean for us? And how do we want our children to think about themselves and about God and about this world? And how are we as a ministry helping children develop faith, faith formation? And, okay, there was a lot that we talked about, but what really hung on with me was that God is breaking through. I mean, there's this element of transcendence where heaven breaks through and we have a we have a responsibility as well as this moment where we experience and see. Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? And what implications does that have for the way we do ministry? So we're coming to the Lord in prayer right now. And I'm going to start actually our prayer with Psalm 19. And you may re remember or recognize the, the psalm, but just kind of think about what the psalm is calling us into to see and to notice and to be open to. So will you join me? Let's pray. Lord God, we come with this testimony. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. May these words of my mouth, really, Lord, the words of all of our mouths, and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, our redeemer. Lord, you've given us these songs to remind ourselves of your word and your speaking. In a world, Lord, that really has reduced life in many ways to just what is physical and material, what we can see and taste and touch, 
a world that has reduced life to simply the horizontal. You've called us, Lord, to live in this world, but be open to and living with a mind and heart, with our whole heart and mind and strength, guided by your love, by this vertical relationship with you, that you have a desire and a, a way that you're calling us to something more than just, just what we can touch and see here. But we are called by you to see something more, even in the moments of our struggles and the moments of our suffering to see and to hear from you. Lord, not one of us here is going to say that suffering and struggle is easy or fun or even kind of authored by you. And yet you have promised that even in those difficult moments, those moments of grief and loss and struggle and healing and recovery, you have your presence with us. In the midst of questions we don't know answers to, you are simply calling us, inviting us to wait. That is our prayer, Lord, that in the waiting, you speak. And in the waiting, we hear you. Our confession, Lord, today is we are most often distracted by the horizontal things of our life. And we bring that to you today in worship. We remember, Lord, the stories of brothers and sisters generations ago, stories told to us through the scriptures of your faithfulness, your work, your presence, your leading. And we call now, Lord, that you'll give us open hearts, open eyes and ears and hearts to see you, yes, still speaking, still speaking now. Thank you for the birth of babies, Lord, we celebrate in new birth. We celebrate, Lord, the birth of new ideas and clear ideas and new thinking for, for new relationships, for new marriages, new families. We celebrate, Lord, the work that you are doing. Thank you for the team that was able to spend uh, some time with uh, the Kerrigs in Ireland. And as much as their presence was a blessing to them, Lord, the stories coming out of that team are the blessing upon them for having engaged in that, in that moment. You were at work there. We... Uh, we pray for those who are still looking to, for ways to, to rebuild after the storms, for the disaster relief organizations that are at work, busy there, for the, the reach for volunteers. And Lord, we pray that over these next months, there can be indeed some recovery, even over these next years, Lord, uh, restoration. We pray for our world and we pray for peace. Where there is war, we pray for, for resolution. Where there is hunger, where there's oppression, we pray for relief. 
Lord, we thank you for your presence uh, with the bakers. We pray that uh, you will be with Bob and the family as they are grieving the loss of Marion. Lord, heal their, their grief. Pray for others even that we're sitting near, sitting around who are, yes, even after years, still finding some themselves uh, resolving and living into recovery. So bring healing, Lord. Lord, there's much we cannot and don't mention in our prayers in this way, but Lord, we do. We do know you hear us. You love us. You go before us. Be with JB today as he brings your word. Empower him. Lord, thank you for him, for the council leadership, for the team that uh, JB and Aaron and Bill and Darwin are as they think on and reflect on and pray about the messages Sundays after Sunday. Open us up to hearing from you today, we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. And good morning, Fusion. Good morning again. Welcome, welcome. It is good to be together. Uh, by the way, um, you all are looking absolutely schnazzy with those uh, fancy name tags. And uh, just, so, just so you know, I got one here and I got a second one, just in case there's another wardrobe change this morning. Um, but thank you for participating and being willing to, to be part of that. Again, it's part of our, our vision for, for deeper connections. And just our hope is that this will just be a simple tool to, to help us learn one another's names, which is such a powerful and simple step toward, toward becoming a, the community we want to be. Uh, another quick announcement it's in two weeks, so not next week, but, but in two weeks, October 30th, we're going to be doing another potluck. Uh, weather. We're going to be right here in the great room, so we'll turn over the room after the service. And so bring a, bring a meal, bring a meal, bring a dish to pass if you're able. If you're not able to do that, that's okay. Just come and enjoy a time of fellowship food as, again, we're trying to live into deeper connections with one another. Very good. Amen. I don't know why amen, but yep, very good. Okay, all right. Hey, we got a lot to get into, so let's jump in. Again, we are, we are covering the uh, entire, entire narrative of Scripture in the next 31 weeks. We're using a resource called The Story, which takes uh, actual Scripture passages from the NIV translation, puts them in, in chronological order, offers some summary uh, summaries in, in, in italics, and, and creates the story of Scripture as one uh, co cohesive narrative. And we're we're using that resource. We've been in it for six weeks, and we've been kind of splitting them up into kind of mini-series to kind of uh, continue to keep this 31-week uh, series kind of engaging and, and, and interesting. But in the last six weeks, here we go, we covered the whole Torah, or we are going to finish up the whole Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, also called the Pentateuch in the Hebrew Bible, or as we call the Old Testament. Here's a quick summary of the Torah. Weeks one through three, we covered the book of Genesis, those first two boxes. We looked at the creation of, of this whole universe, the fall of mankind, and God's redemptive plan at work through a family. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his sons, that was the first three weeks. And then the last 
last two weeks, we've really covered the books of, of ex, the books of Exodus and really kind of grouped in with that Leviticus, though there's not a ton of narrative in Leviticus. Those are laws, but we looked at in the first week of those two weeks, so two weeks ago, Exodus 1 through 18, which covers the actual Exodus, the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And then last week, we looked at Exodus 19 through 40 and then kind of group in the book of Leviticus because we looked at uh, the people at Mount Sinai and God's covenant with the people at Mount Sinai where God gives the people the law, his commands, as well as we looked at these instructions for the tabernacle, which is God's promise to dwell with his people, uh, which goes along with what Andrew was saying, God's heaven breaking in that God promised to be and dwell with his people as they would move from Mount Sinai, which leads to our, our section today, which is the whole rest of the Torah, okay? And so we got a lot to cover in one day. We are covering the wilderness journey from Mount Sinai to the edge of the promised land, the banks of the Jordan, which really covers the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. So let's very quickly look at those two books. Here's a little summary of the book of Numbers. Uh, Numbers is a fascinating account. We don't have time to go into all of the, the it's not a boring book, let me just tell you, um, but it's, there's uh, tons of stories. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on some of it. Uh, but the book of Numbers, if you're just to organize it geographically, so geographically, based on the locations, chapters 1 through 10 is at Mount Sinai. This is where it gets its name, Numbers, where the, the, the camp is organized, where, where are all the different tribes in, in relation to the tabernacle. Uh, then the next location is the Wilderness of Paran in chapters 13 through 19. And then finally, the end of the book takes place on the plains of Moab, just outside of the Promised Land, chapters 22 through 36. In between those, you'll notice in kind of the dashed lines, there's there's some stories that take place during the people's journey between those locations. For me, it took me years to kind of get any kind of, my, to wrap my mind around the book of Numbers, but I hopefully that is helpful. Then all, we get to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy, which is Greek for second law, uh, which where, this is where Moses is standing on the banks of the Jordan River on the edge of the promised land, and he's giving the people these, these final words before they're ready and prepared to enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy is kind of split up into three promises primary movements, two speeches. So these, these speeches of Moses kind of sandwiched around another large grouping of laws where Moses is telling, uh, retelling some of the same laws but telling the people different laws. All right, deep breath. And we're going to cover numbers in Deuteronomy. You ready? Okay. Our passage this morning is going to come from Deuteronomy. And the reason for that is this is Moses, again, uh, recalling what has been. And in chapter 8, there's two main things he's trying to do. He's trying to help the people remember or not forget so that they can follow the Lord moving into the promised land. And that frames these two books really well. And so our passage this morning is Deuteronomy 8. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 16. If you're willing and if you're able, it's our custom to stand and honor God as God speaks to us through his word. And uh, so I invite you to do that. And now listen as God speaks to us uh, as he spoke to his people long ago. Again, these are the words of Moses to the people of Israel uh, before they enter the promised land. And the Lord speaks to, through Moses. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. 
Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, the promised land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with his venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we, we pause and we, we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we trust that even as, as we, we listened to your word just a moment ago, that your spirit kind of moved in our hearts and, and brought our heart and our mind to certain words or ideas. And, and God, we thank you that your word is alive and living and active and moving. Your spirit continues to speak to us so many years later through your word. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us today. Lord, that we would hear a word from you, that we'd be challenged, that we'd be encouraged, and that we'd be moved more and more into the likeness of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. And amen. Growing up in uh, southeastern Wisconsin, the Milwaukee area, there is a lot that I remember uh, with, with great fondness. I've, I've shared multiple times. I'm from Wisconsin, grew up in kind of the 90s. Um, but one of the things, there was this season in my life that, that I, I particularly look on with, with great fondness. Um, Right around junior high, my brothers and I and a group of our friends, uh, we spent just about every day in the summer and fall uh, working on a fort. Did anyone else have forts growing up? Uh, let me tell you, 
our fort was so much better. No, I, I have no idea. No, this fort uh, pales in comparison, but we had a series of forts in the, in the woods by my house, Hanson Park, Milwaukee County, and, uh, and there was different iterations of that fort. Some of them were kind of these lean-to forts like in the picture, but the last version of that fort, uh, we, d- we discovered this location kind of in a field, and so it was like in the open, but it was hidden because there was like this old drainage ditch that was cut out of the earth, and we were like, that is the location of our next fort. And so we began constructing this fort where we were just laying branches and trees that we cut down. That's, don't do that. Uh, and then, and then uh, tarps, and there was tar paper and old sleeping bags. And so this fort was incredible. We even had this piece of plastic, so there was like a sunroof in our fort. I mean, I'm telling you, it was an amazing fort. Uh, and then in the fort as well, we built this stove. I'm serious. Yeah, we built a stove. That might be a generous way of describing it, but it was rocks with mud, and then we had like a little grate over it, and then we put a chimney. This is a really bad idea. I'm pretty sure our chimney was like an old carburetor we found in the woods. Don't do that. That's a horrible idea. But we would create these little fires in our fort, and we would cook our lunch. And, you know, being junior high kids who had a a little bit of money from allowance, what would we buy to cook over the fire? Any guesses? Bacon. Okay. Bacon. It's so gross. I know, right? So here we are like dangling strips of bacon on a stick over this fire. We'd cook up our bacon and that's what we would eat. Like we were living the dream, okay? Any, does this sound like a dream? Okay. This was our, yeah, so this was this was this season. Well, a couple things. Cutting down trees, definitely illegal in a Milwaukee County Park. Uh, uh, having fires, illegal. You're not allowed to do that. So here we are lighting fires. We'd come home smelling like campfire. My parents are like, okay, you guys got to stop with making the fires. We're like, okay, okay, we'll stop. We didn't stop. So we continued to make fires at the fort and continued to cook bacon for lunch. Well, one day uh, during this season, my younger brother, Corey, goes home and my parents ask him, maybe they're already on to him, and they say, hey, what did you have for lunch? And he's young and he, he makes up this elaborate lunch that there's no possible way we could have had. He's like, oh, we had roast beef sandwiches with tomatoes and lettuce, and oh, it was fantastic. Uh, Anyway, so he tells my parents that story. My older brother and I, we come home after that, and my parents ask us, hey, what did you guys have for lunch? Corey says that you had roast beef sandwiches, and it was quite good, and we're like, oh, man. Yeah, that's that's what we had. We had bacon, right, over a fire. Uh, It was a lie, and in that moment, they, they caught us in the lie. And in that moment, they said, hey, you know, hey, we're disappointed that you disobeyed us about the fires, but even more so, we're really upset and disappointed that you guys lied to us and you betrayed our trust. And, he said, and they said, because of that, you guys are going to be grounded from the fort for a whole month. No one's batting an eye. That's harsh, man. That was tough. So we got grounded from the fort for a whole month because we lied to our parents. And in this cruel twist of irony, I'm, I'm not making this up, the day before our grounding was up, that fort burnt to the ground. No, I'm not making that up. We go to the, the, the day we're done and it's like still smoldering because our fort burnt to the ground. And, uh, and, and so now this has become kind of that, one of those stories that lives in the lore of our family, right? These, this is one of the stories that me and my brothers will tell when we gather together in a couple weeks for my dad's 70th birthday. These are the stories that we share. And why do we share stories like that? Because these stories from our past and from our families, they begin to shape us into our future, right? 
Now, in a similar way, what's happening uh, on the banks of the Jordan with Moses talking to the people? He's retelling their story. Because there's something about retelling and sharing stories that begins to shape us moving into the future. And that's really what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. It's, it's Moses retelling the people's story so that they know how to live moving into the promised land. Uh, another way to say that would be to remember so that we can follow. If you're, following the, if, you're, if you're following along in the book of Deuteronomy, the first three chapters is really is this concise summary of what's happened uh, in the days before, uh, retelling of the story of the people. And then Moses begins to compel the people toward covenant faithfulness, reminds them of the law. There's a retelling of the Ten Commandments in, in Deuteronomy, right? And then, and then we get to chapter 8, and, and Deuteronomy, like God, like God is speaking through Moses, and he's giving the people these final preparations for Israel before they enter into the promised land, and we begin to see kind of some of the primary strategy of what God is doing in these speeches of Moses. And the key strategy is this, to remember and to follow. Our text this morning, and I love Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, says this, verses 1 and 2 hear it. Be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today. So be careful to follow the commands. Jumping to verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. So remember how God has led you faithfully these last 40 years so that you can follow the Lord as you enter into the promised land, keeping his commands. The idea is remembering, remembering our story and remembering where we've been helps us follow the Lord into the future more faithfully. Here's an example from the story I just told you, right? Uh, I, I remember this story. This story has stuck with me because this is a story of me at a formative age being caught in a lie. And I have to tell you, like, what, what I learned from that is that lying did not pay off in the long run. And I missed out on the last month of, of playing in the fort with my friends, right? Because I lied. And so, and so this story, this memory, uh, honestly continues to shape me today where, where I think twice about lying or telling a lie because, because I learned something from my past and I remember this. I mean, it kind of seems silly, but, but honestly, it, it really continues to have an impact on my heart about... You know, lying is not going to work out. I remember, I remember this time in my life when I was a kid in junior high, right? These stories become formative. Remembering becomes formative as we move into the future. In Deuteronomy 8, uh, Moses begins to recall different moments from their past. A little bit of, of, of review, kind of, because for the last two weeks, we've really remembered the first part of that journey. Uh, in verse 3, he says, He humbled you, he caused you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. So the last two weeks during our, our series in the story, we've really remembered the first part of the journey. We remembered, we remembered how God, uh, in his power, in his compassion, moved to rescue the people out of Egypt. In chapters 1 through 18, we remembered that. 
And then last week, we, we remembered how God met with the people at Mount Sinai, making this covenant, giving them commands, promising his presence to be with them, part of Israel's preparation so they know how to live distinctly and differently in the land as they become a nation. So we've remembered those two aspects of their journey. And then Moses then spends quite a bit of time remembering and focusing on the last 40 years as the people left Mount Sinai and headed to the promised land. This morning what I want to do, because we have Numbers and Deuteronomy, is I just want to cover a little bit of remembering in the book of Numbers. I want to spend a little bit of time considering those 40 years and what lessons Israel may have gleaned from those years in the wilderness. Make sense? We, we, we remember the last couple weeks Exodus. Let's remember a little bit of Numbers. Now, full disclosure, I, don't, I think this goes without saying, but, but giving a snapshot or a summation of 40 years or a whole book of the Bible cannot be done in one sermon. Uh, there's so much richness in this book to explore. And quite honestly, there's a lot of other parts of the stories that if you just read the book of Numbers, you're going to be like, whoa, like that makes me uncomfortable. That's a little troubling. Like what, I don't know what to do with that. And so we're just going to kind of hold that tension out here. Um, but what I hope to do is consider uh, particularly some of the patterns that arise, particularly in that middle section in the book of Numbers around Israel's wilderness rebellions. That's what we're going to look at. Israel's wilderness rebellions rebellions, we'll see there's this kind of repeating pattern in the different rebellions of Israel during their time in the wilderness. It's a pattern of the people rebel, God responds, and then they continue to move forward. Let's look briefly. Now, here's, here's something really fascinating. Um, in Numbers 14, this is after the spies check out the land of Canaan. We're going to talk about that story. Uh, but after some of those things go down, God forgives the people for what he says the 10 times they disobeyed and tested the Lord. This is Numbers 14, verses 20 and through 22. 10 times are named. Now here's just a little interesting side fact. If you count the amount of rebellions in this central section uh, of numbers, uh, how many rebellions are you going to come across? Now you want to say 10. Um, seven. So if you count the rebellions in the book of numbers, there's seven rebellions. But if you add the three rebellions in Exodus 15, 16, and 17, seven plus three, yeah, you know that math. Yeah, 10. It's 10, which is really cool. I mean, there's some significance between 10 with the 10 plagues and the 10 commandments, which is all interesting, um, but, but it, it equals 10. Now, obviously, we don't have time to cover 10 rebellions, but what I want to do is briefly consider three. So take a deep breath. We're going to look at three of the rebellions in the book of Numbers. Numbers 13 through 14, Numbers 16, and then Numbers 20. Let's look at these three rebellions. The first one we'll look at is Numbers 13 through 14. Uh, this is one of those stories that is in a lot of the Sunday school books. This is the, the spies of Israel, 12 leaders from, every, from each tribe of Israel go out to spy the land of Canaan, and they, and they come back spying out the land with this kind of mixed report, right? There's, there's the one part that in, in Canaan, it's a, it, it is just as God said, a land flowing with milk and honey and they come back with these, these grapes that are just huge, right? And, and, a, and one of these clusters of grapes is being held by two people. The, the, the land is flowing with milk and honey and goodness just as the Lord has said. But the mixed report is it's not just filled with giant grapes. It's filled with giant dudes, right? 
There are giants in the land, and, and, and all but two of those spies come back saying, we will be destroyed if we try invading this land. Caleb and, and Joshua say, hey, let's go. God has promised us this. Let's move forward. But the other spies come back saying, we should get out of here quick. Now, not only that, but those remaining spies also begin to spread dissension among the people to the point that the next day the people rise up, they're ready to stone Moses and appoint a new leader and head right back to Egypt. It's not just doubt. Like, there is, there is a rebellion at taking place among the people. Ugh. Like, that's not good, Right? What happens next is God's judgment. God responds. He almost destroys them, but Moses intervenes using some of the words from Exodus 34 that we've used in the past. Uh, but God instead says that this is, the, this is the judgment that this whole generation will not see the promised land. And it's at this point that God says, your children will enter the promised land, but you're gonna be in the wilderness for another 38 years. You will not see the promised land. On top of that, the men who, who spread the dissension among the camp actually dropped dead from a plague. Again, these are some of those moments where it's like, ooh, you know, we just hold that out here, okay, tension. But then the people move forward, and the people continue. 38 years now, but the people move forward. Let's look at Numbers 16. This is Korah's rebellion. Now, important thing about Korah is Korah is a member of the Levites, in chapters 1 through 10, we have the, uh, the map of how the camp is laid out, the 12 tribes around the tabernacle, but then it's the Levites who are around the tabernacle closer. 12 tribes closer are the Levites. From among the Levites is where the priests come, right? And so the priests who are the ones who stand in the gap, who serve in the temple, but the rest of the Levites served at the tabernacle. I keep saying temple, but at this point it's the tabernacle, right? So the Levites are serving at the tabernacle. One of those, Korah, along with two others and 250 other Levites, accuse Moses and say, what makes you so special, Moses, that you get to go into the presence of God, that you get to enter the tent? We're all holy. Why don't we all get to do this? Moses offers a warning, says, you want to serve in the tent, offer some incense at the tent of meeting. But I'm warning you, if you remember, something happened in Leviticus with Aaron's sons, it's not going to end well. He says, I'm warning you, but just know that this is, if, if something happens, it's God that's, at, that's working, that's, that's causing judgment. Well, these sons of Korah, these Korah, the Korah and these two others, they come and they present these incense, and what happens is God's judgment comes, and we have this terrifying story where the earth opens up and swallows these three Levites, including Korah, and their entire household. The earth just swallows them up. Now again, ooh, and we'll get to that a little bit, but yeah, it's like, whoa, that seems pretty harsh. From there, the people then accuse Moses of Aaron of killing Korah and these priests. And they say, no, it wasn't us. And now a plague begins to spread among the people. This is a whole other sermon. Aaron goes running out with incense and the plague stops. He stands in the gap. There's a whole other sermon there, okay? Again, another one of these cycles. The people rebel, God acts, there's judgment, but then the people move forward toward the promised land. Fast forward to Numbers chapter 20. At this point, it's, it's all, we're, we find out later this is almost at the end of the 38 years of wandering. And the people run out of water again. There's kind of an echo here from Exodus 17. They start grumbling. They start longing for Egypt. And at this point, 38 years, Moses is fed up. Now the Lord comes to Moses, says, Take your staff 
and speak to the rock and water will come out. Now, if you remember Exodus 17, the command was go to a rock and strike the rock with your staff. But this time God says, don't strike it. Just speak to the rock for water to come out. But we read on that Moses gathers the people and this is what he says to the people. Hear now, you rebels. Now, biblical language, he's really upset, okay? Here, you know, maybe that we don't get that, but he is really upset and frustrated with the people. Hear now, you rebels. He says, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? He strikes the rock, not once, but twice. Water gushes out from the rock, but we find out that he disobeyed the Lord. And the Lord is upset with him because he didn't speak to the rock. Instead, he struck it. And did you notice who he said is going to bring water? The Lord? We. There's more going on here. Moses rebels, disobeys, and in comes God's judgment. Now at this point you might be wondering, oh man, what could be worse than the, the earth opening up and swallowing a whole, a whole household? But instead, the judgment is this. Moses and Aaron, now the two of you are not allowed to go into the promised land. You're gonna die in the wilderness as well. Now that's really harsh for Moses and Aaron who've been leading the people for 40 years. But then the people move forward. And there's a series of actually God's blessing in the midst of this. Again, more foreshadowing. There's a little summary of three rebellion stories in the book of Numbers. Certainly they're interesting stories. Um, but is there a pattern that emerges? And what does that pattern actually tell us and teach us as God's people years later? Here's where I think, I think Deuteronomy 8 actually helps us begin to discern and interpret what's going on in these rebellion stories. There's a wilderness lesson. And the lesson has to do with, with God's faithfulness and Israel's rebellion. And how do, how do those things interact? Each of these stories include the people's disobedience, distrust, or rebellion. And the first part of that I think is pretty clear. Like, like we see, we understand, okay, the, pe the people are fearing giants. They're showing a mistrust in God. They want to stone Moses. Like that's all pretty terrible. Korah and these other Levites, they're longing for, for power and influence in a way that's unhealthy. We understand that. Moses not following God's direction and then even more so using the word we. Okay, we get that this is a rebellion. But I think it's safe to assume, especially for us in a modern context, what we might struggle with is actually God's response to the rebellion. Because we look at God's response here and we're like, man, that seems a little unfair. Like God's response here, it seems like over the top and like disproportionate. Um, some of it's just plain troubling. Like what do we do with that? But Moses in Deuteronomy 8, notice how he frames these actions. He says, this is discipline. He says, this is dis discipline and considers, what does he say about the wilderness journeys? He says, this is a time of testing, teaching, and humbling. Now, I'll be the first to admit, this doesn't settle all of our discomfort about these stories, okay? There's just a tension there that is beyond us. But I think it is a helpful starting point that this period of the wilderness was a time of discipline, a time of testing, a time of teaching, of humbling. And the parallel is actually, if you've ever led a, a group of people, right? Like, like children, particularly, as a parent or a teacher or a coach. And, and what's required when you're leading a group? Discipline. Like parents, you, you discipline your children. Why? To help them learn, to help them grow, to help them mature and become functioning adults, right? 
Because kids or children without boundaries, without any kind of consequences, they never mature, they never grow up, and, they, 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 and it's a disservice to them, right? Discipline is, is important. And now, of course, we can say there's, there's appropriate forms of discipline, there's inappropriate, of course, absolutely. But I think we'd all agree that all kids, we need discipline, we need boundaries. We need to know where the boundaries are. And, and when we mess up and we cross those boundaries, there need to be consequences. For me, that consequence became formative. Being grounded from the fort for lying became this formative moment that I continued to draw on. I don't even want to do the math. However many years later that is, right? That lying is not going to end well for me because that moment of discipline, and we may think, oh, grounding for a month, not a big deal. No, that was a big deal for me. And to see my fort burnt to the ground, like that was a big deal. But it became this formative moment because it was hard. And so what the wilderness years teach us is that God is faithful to his promises. God said, I'm going to bring you to a land. He's, he's faithful to that. But at the same time, God will allow freedom of choice for his people. And that freedom of choice leaves space for, for us, God's people, to choose rebellion to choose to distrust, to choose to disobey. And God, in his love, will allow us to face the consequences of those decisions so that we will learn and we will grow and we will mature and we will remain humble. God's faithfulness in love actually requires that he not ignore the rebellion. God's faithfulness requires that he address Israel's rebellion. Why? Because I, I, I think who the people of God were becoming is just as, if not more important, than where they were going. The wilderness journey is about formation. It was about God forming Israel into a nation of the promise so that they would be ready to live as God's chosen people in the promised land. Now, are there a lot of questions with how God worked? Well, yeah, particularly for us in a modern context. Like, what's going on? But formation is crucial because God cares about who we are becoming more than where we are going. And Deuteronomy gives a final word as we think about what does it mean to follow the Lord. This is the best way that Deuteronomy summarizes what does it mean. We remember and then we follow the Lord into the promised land. Here's a quick aside. I remember follow one of the longest speeches. Uh, there's another passage that became the prayer of the people, the Shema. And this became what does it mean to follow the Lord into the future? It's to listen to the Lord and it's to love the Lord. Listen and love. Two words that are used more than almost any other word in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen and love. Shema means listen. Shema, or hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Keep these commandments that I give you today on your heart. Impress them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What is this prayer saying, listen, same word for obey, listen and obey Israel. There is one Lord. He is our God. He is your God. The most important thing for you is to love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And these commands that the Lord is giving, keep them central in your life. Keep them saturated in your life. Every space of your life, keep these words, these commands to love the Lord central as your central focus as you follow God into the promised land. Listen and love. 
Now, next week, we're going to begin to look at how that begins to be worked out as the people enter into the promised land. We're going to look at the book of Joshua next week. But today, as we close, let's zero in on our context. Those who follow, who believe in Jesus Christ in 2022 here in West Michigan, what does this mean for us? I want to point out another, another pattern in the rebellions revealed, and it has to do with who is rebelling. In those three stories that we looked at, notice who is rebelling. Numbers 13 and 14, it's leaders from the 12 tribes, okay? So it's the people, the 12 tribes who have rebelled. You step forward to Numbers 16, who's rebelling? If you're looking at the layout of the camp, it, it's the Levites, those who are closer, who are called to a greater degree of responsibility in the leading of God's people. It's the Levites who are, who are rebelling. And the punishment is greater for those with greater responsibility. But here's, here's the kicker. Who's the one who's actually rebelling in Numbers 20? Moses. It's Moses. Do you remember the story Throughout the story, Moses has been the intercessor that God has used to stand in the gap throughout these stories in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses has been the intercessor. Moses has been the only one who's gone up to the top of Mount Sinai who has met with the Lord. Moses is the one who's interceding on behalf of the people. Moses is the one who would come back down, his face is glowing because he's had this encounter with Yahweh. Moses, and what the scriptures tell us right here is that even Moses, 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 even Moses, the greatest prophet and priest in all of Israel's history, even Moses has failed and rebelled. Deuteronomy 34 verse 10 said that there was, there was never a prophet or priest in our time as, as, as awesome as Moses. That's a, that's a prayer phrase, definitely. But even Moses, even he could not be the, the one that Israel needed. Now, we're not going to cover the, the, the last chapters, but in the last chapters, again, some, some wild stories. You remember the stories of Balaam? So Balaam, in, in chapters 22 through 30, uh, whatever it is, uh, Balaam is this pagan sorcerer, and the king of Moab commands this pagan sorcerer to, to call on curses on the Israelite people. God intervenes. This is where you get the talking donkey, okay? And, and intervenes. And instead of calling down curses on the people of Israel, God won't allow it. And instead, this pagan sorcerer, God uses to call on blessings on the people. And those blessings are recorded in the book of Numbers. If you read those seven blessings, what are they foretelling? They're foretelling of one who would come, the Messiah, the promised one. They're foretelling of who we know as Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that there is one who would come who is greater than Moses. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 3 says it this way. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest, the one who intercedes. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God's, all God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. That is so significant. Jesus has become the one greater than Moses. Moses, the great prophet, the great priest. Moses, Jesus has become our great prophet, the one who spoke the truth of God. 
the, the great high priest, the one who intercedes on our behalf. And not only that, Jesus Christ would become the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Wow. Unified story that leads to Jesus. We seeing it? And these same words to remember to follow these same guidelines, this strategy in Deuteronomy 8. Remember where you've been so that you can follow me faithfully into the future. Jesus picks up on that same theme on the last night, the night he was betrayed. Because on that night, the night Jesus was betrayed, he offered us this feast that we are about to partake in. A feast of remembrance so that we would always remember what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And it's become this marker, this this feast that helps us as God's people, as Jesus followers, millennia later, to continue to remember our story, to remember that Jesus Christ stood in the gap, that Jesus Christ was the one who spoke the word of truth, that Jesus Christ became that sacrifice that was required for the atonement and forgiveness of our sins. And in this feast, in this feast, we experience heaven breaking in a foretaste of that heavenly banquet because this is not our home. But one day Jesus Christ will come again and he'll establish his kingdom fully. That is the promised land that we look forward to and this meal is a foretaste of that promised land. God is good, amen? Let's go to our Lord and pray and as I pray, the worship team will, will come up. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We, th- we thank you for the power of, of remembering. Lord, just as, as we have stories from when we were growing up and we have stories as families and, and we have stories as a community that we hold on to because it shapes us, Lord, this story that we've been studying for the last six weeks that we're gonna continue to study this year, this story that is your story is also our story. And Lord Jesus, in, in just a, a few moments, we, we are going to partake together in the bread and the cup. And we're going to remember, Lord Jesus, the extent of your love for each of us. That Jesus, you loved us so much that you are willing to lay down your very life so that we could experience the promise of life in you both now and forevermore. Lord, in this moment, Spirit, prepare our hearts to receive from you this gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just some, uh, as we continue to prepare our hearts, just some brief instructions. We'll have two stations on the outside. Once you're invited, as you feel ready, come forward, uh, receive the bread, uh, take the cup. Uh, When you're finished, there's some garbage cans to to dispose of the cup. There's gluten-free station in the back. Uh, If you are unable or would prefer to partake at your seat, just raise your hand and someone will serve you there. But as we continue to prepare our hearts, communion is this, this gift where where God's presence by the power of the Spirit is here. And there's this moment where where heaven is, is, 
is thin. There's this thin place. Heaven is breaking in. And as you prepare your hearts in silent prayer while the music is going, just pray that the Spirit would open your heart to receive all that God has for you to receive through this meal by the power of the Spirit. And let's remember that night that Jesus was with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took bread. After giving thanks to God, he, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for complete forgiveness of all your sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, for the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was given for complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Amen. I invite our servers to come forward and as they prepare, when it, as you feel ready, come and receive the gift and grace of our Lord Jesus. This is communion Your body broken The cup we're drinking Is bittersweet The gift of friendship To with salvation Born of your
Jesus Christ gives us the sacrament as a way of saying, just as real as this bread that you took in your hand and consumed with your mouth, so real is the presence and power of God in our lives. And the thing is, I think so often we, we just miss it because we're so busy and we're so hectic, but God is breaking in and there's opportunities to experience God's transcendent presence here at a table in worship, but also around the tables in your home, in your community. So my encouragement is just to step back, breathe, and be aware of God's presence all around us. And as you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.
Let's experience his presence with one another and some donuts. (laughs) 